Hey, uh, is this alright with the, uh, the audio? Dude, it's perfect. Okay. Alright. What's uh, good? I need to, let me put my grocery, I just have some cheese to put away in the fridge. Man, you do what you gotta do. Le fromage. <laughs> you know, that organic shredded. Oh. Uh, yo, so you're in Canada, huh? Yeah, man. Winnipeg. Winnipeg, Canada. Oh. Do you, I guess you don't have earbuds in right now, hey? No, I don't. I, I have AirPods, and I have, um... I, I could try to get, the, like, the Apple old-school ones, if you would rather. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, like, once, once you get doing done doing the cheese duty then uh yeah pop in either the earbuds or what what the heck does apple call those things earbuds airpods man i'm i i'm still i'm og man i like the Seinhauser, like the ones with the built-in mic and i like sound quality stuff so i don't know yeah. plus i can't i can't wear those apple products i just don't like anything that's hard like that like yeah. the softer plush earbuds, so oh, I understand. I understand. Okay, well yeah, I'm man. on the couch. I think I'm in a my my cat wants to go out in the hallway, but she's if I, I don't want to let her out because then I'll have anyway. Lucy, you behave. All right. And then uh yeah, so if this is if this sounds good, then let's let's do it. Yeah, if you can you pop in earbuds? Oh dude, are you cracking a beer right now? <laughs> yeah, you caught me. Yep. Oh dang. Man, I just finished. I finished the Muskoka Brewery Mad Tom IPA, and it feels like I got punched in the face by some hops. <laughs> I'm Ben Grenell, and this is Character, the Pinball Wizard, Tim Cox. Yeah, so I grew up in South Florida. West Palm Beach was the closest, you know, city that to me where I grew up. And I grew up in like an equestrian community called Wellington. And so that looked like I was, I grew up in a townhouse where everybody like rented while they were building their legit real house. And it was everything from like equestrian community. So you'd have polo players, people who would show horses, and then you would have homes with airplane hangers and their driveway would be both for car and for airplane out to like a runway. So that was like an entire neighborhood of just airplane owners and they would fly, you know, different places and a lot of small planes and stuff. Grew up in, grew up in Wellington, Florida, and my dad was a firefighter slash fire inspector slash hazmat team slash rappelling off of roofs like he was he was on the rope team but we only had like four sky you know tall buildings in south florida so he would he would do that for boca raton fire department and um, my mom was in a, a, a teacher's aide at a 
Christian school. She wanted me to go to private school so she would she would be a teacher's aide so that we would get scholarshiped in or we would get a, a tuition reduction for that school. So yeah, I grew up both parents working. My dad also had a pool business on the side. When you when you're a firefighter, you he worked 24 hours and then he got three days off, which is a pretty sweet deal. But then he worked those three days doing cleaning pools. And we are a, a pale bunch. So my dad is currently like getting stuff cut off of him at the dermatologist all the time. And I hate the sun. So I stay, you know, my wife goes to, when we go to the beach, she goes to the beach and I'm like in a coffee shop or in the shade somewhere. Um, just wearing a full rain suit at all times. <laughs> I, 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 I prefer beekeepers outfits. Yes. That's my, <laughs> that that's works my too. Yeah. That works too. <laughs> Cotton's more comfortable. And, uh, it, yeah, I grew up in, in kind of like a lower middle income family and I was, I'm the old, you know, I'm the oldest child and parents were super strict or at least my mom was super strict with me. And then my sister was kind of like the rebel. She got to, she watched the Austin Powers movie and lied about it. And I, to this day, uh, argue about it with her in front of my mom until she, well, not to this day. She admitted it finally when she was like 25 and I'm 35 now. So, um, yeah, uh, let's see, what else could I tell you? I mean, I have a lot of stories. It's a lot of sad stuff. I mean, sad for me. Um, Dude, I, it's, I'm, I'm all ears. I yeah. mean, I, I have questions already. Oh, cool. You wanna I'm, I'm going to have questions as we, we yeah, go. go for it. Like, okay. So equestrian c- community, when you said that, I was sitting there thinking there's no possible way he's referring to horses. Like I, there must be some term that I don't know that equestrian also means something else, but like how, okay, you didn't have horses. I'm assuming if your dad was a firefighter. So what, like what is an equestrian community and how the heck did you get into that? Yeah. Wellington, Florida, I, it's still like this, but a little bit less. Uh, it, it was, in Florida, the way it's done is South Florida started construction, like all of the development is on the coast, like on the beach, as close to the water as possible. And then there's no more space there. And so everybody moves inland. So they move into the peninsula, into the Everglades, basically. And so I lived between the coast in the city and sugarcane fields. And just to the north of me was a town where they didn't pave the roads called Loxahatchee and people had airboats and they would go mudding and stuff up there. And where I lived was where people had horses, stables, but the roads were paved and stuff. It was very, there was a neighborhood called the Polo Club and it was a gated community and it's like Prince Charles and Princess Diana would stay there and there's polo matches which uh, you, you're familiar with polo. It's, you know, you ride on a horse. It's oh, yeah. hockey with horses. Horse hockey exactly. is what it is. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was it. That was part of the community. So polo season was a big thing. All the people that would take care of the horses and the polo teams would live in my neighborhood. So we had a bunch of, we had like townhouses with 12 dudes just living there. Uh, it was a very kind of transient neighborhood where I grew up. So that's, that's, it was show jumping, you know, uh, what is it called? Dressage. I don't even know. And then polo. That, that's how, that's why it was an equestrian community. But I, I had only, I don't think I ever, I rode horses once in my, from, from birth till 
18 years old. I was on, I think in my entire life, I've been on a horse twice. I think that's, but I grew up surrounded by that kind of community. Yeah. I mean, so you're surrounded by what it sounds like to be wealth, if you want to call it that, because you have to, and I don't want to generalize, but for the most part, if you're, you're going to take it upon yourself to have a horse and care for it, you probably are in a different socioeconomic um, status or a background, if you want to call it that, than you would be. Like, it's more likely that you're well off than not well off, right? Um, so you grew up surrounded by wealth and and probably more like extreme wealth if you're talking horses, but you were pretty middle class by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's right. Yeah, middle class, lower middle class. I have a memory. I would ride my bike to Publix, and this is like a pivotal memory for me, which it's so stupid. But that's what those kind of memories sometimes are, is you're marked for a lifetime by something that's pretty trivial. But I rode my bike to Publix, which is the weirdest sounding grocery store, but it's a great grocery store and people love their subs and stuff. But I would ride my bike there and it was just, just down the street, probably a 20 minute bike ride. And I would always go buy milk and my mom gave me a 20 and I went to go get the gallon of milk. I would walk, I walked up to the cashier I was probably like 10 years old and I reach into my jeans and I could not find the money and I lost the $20. And I remember riding home just grief stricken. Like I had sunk my family because I lost $20. It was the most money I'd ever like considered in my life. And, and that was what, 10 years old. And I remember going with my mom to the same Publix. I drove, I was in college and she gave me 20 again. And I had this pause of a moment like, oh my gosh, I better not lose this 20. But my family was way better in financial situation. If I lost the 20, I could have paid my mom $20. But then this gust of wind came by, it like blew as I was getting out of the car and blew the $20 bill out of my hand. And I, I don't flip out. I flipped out. I'm like, no, I did this like almost like crying out to God moment of like, what, what is happening right now? Of course this would happen. And I found that the $20 like went blue back into the car or something, but it was this moment of extreme distress that I, you know, I, I grew up always under the, under, um, the dark cloud of debt. And it wasn't, I don't even think it was a lot of debt, but that, that's what I grew up remembering is just money was crucial. And, you know, every penny matters and counts and, you know, we got to, we got to, we've got some debt that we're just going to get out of. And once we get out of that debt, we're going to make it, you know, we're going to, we're going to be, we're going to be happy, truly happy. So that was, that's one of, that kind of describes my growing up in one milk run for you. And is that something that your parents were like pretty transparent about? Um, Like just talking about finances and that kind of thing, or how did you, how did you learn to, respect the value of money other than like you obviously as a 10 year old kid you knew that $20 to a 10 year old kid um it's it is a lot of money even nowadays 20 bucks is 20 bucks unless money grows on trees and you don't understand the value of it but um you, you probably had some inherent value that you attributed to that 20 bucks if it, it must have come from somewhere yeah i, I just 
I, I think we, we did not talk about, I, I knew about credit card debt. I knew about the money that we owed and I knew about, um, not being able to go do things like not, not being able to afford things that my friends could do. Like my one trip that I took growing up that was on an airplane, we flew Piedmont airlines, which is closed now. And the only reason that we were able to fly Piedmont airlines to New Jersey was because we ate so much checks mix or check cereal and we saved the box tops and that gave us like a discount where kids flew free or something. And that was the way that my mom, me and my sister were able to fly up to New Jersey, but my dad couldn't go, couldn't afford that. You know, so it, there were just all these, you know, a fancy dinner was going to McDonald's or Burger King or, or and maybe I, I like Applebee's blew my mind or no red lobster was it. Like if, if we were able to go to the red lobster, with those Cheddar Bay biscuits, that was like something incredible has happened. I graduated like high school or something, and then we could go to Red Lobster. So that was kind of what I what I grew up with. Um, but then at the same time, there was this mix of I could I could go to Mc uh, sorry I could go to McDonald's anytime I wanted to sort of thing. So I I would watch my parents blow through money, but then we wouldn't have enough money. So it was kind of this mix of. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know how to balance checkbook or that sort of stuff. So even now, I, I don't have like the best. I don't, I'm not very financially responsible. Like David Ramsey blows my mind. And like I've all, all occasionally binge Dave Ramsey videos on YouTube just to try to give myself some financial wisdom or something. Yeah, I don't know. And so that's, I mean, that it sounds like you you were cognizant of spending when you're a kid, but it's, it's not like that trailered into uh, being an adult, right? Like it's just, you've made your own way and you've figured out things on your own. Yeah. Yeah. In the way that you might spend or manage, manage finances. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's all these moments, right? It's these, when you're a kid, it's these moments that you have these, call them a tent pole moment where you remember it so vividly and um i mean that's that is what forms who we are it's all these experiences it's our personality it's based on that right so deep down deep down in the neural pathways of tim cox lives a memory of going to Publix with 20 dollars, right yeah or um not not being you know like getting the fake reebok pumps from payless you know that that were these big gargantuan tongued fluorescent orange plastic orbs that were supposed to be, Oh yeah, you can push those bubbles. And then it supposedly fills your shoes there. Like the knockoff Reebok pumps, getting those and just being like ashamed of them. And they're super uncomfortable, but then yeah, get then when I book, so I'm basically a man child because (laughs) 35 years old. And so, you know, I'll go take like Kung Fu classes or something because I can't, I couldn't do that when I was a kid. So I'm like, now I'm doing it. Or I just buy a ton of Lego and like learn how to play with Lego and, and how it works as a 35 year old man, because it's like, well, I didn't, I really had like one bin of Lego that was given to us that I got. So now I'm going to go get the sets that I want. Dude, that's so funny because I refer to myself all the time as a man child and most people are like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, and we're, we're, I'm 
I'm 36, so we're basically the exact same age. And I'm like, yeah, straight brim hats, skateboarding around. Like, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. You're a husband, too. And it's like, it doesn't matter. I still, in my mind, I'm 12, maybe 12 and a half, 13 at most. You know, it's like, I, I like to do fun things. There's there's and, beauty in that, though. There's, there's a, oh. um, you know, creativity, a curiosity. Um, you know, it's funny. Businesses pay for that. Uh, that's that's a career right there, being able to, to, I mean, everybody's trying to figure out millennials or even younger than millennials right now. And uh, I mean, granted, I had to, I had to look up how to use Snapchat. Like I had to go through like online tutorials or something, but there is like this, there is this uh, like appreciation for youth and you see the value of it. But then I feel like I'm living, living my best life now because I still retain that man childness, that youth, but then I get the, the wisdom of pain and suffering and, and just life experience and joy uh, that you get to kind of look at that and, and kind of it's yeah, life becomes more fully orbed. Um, well, exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think not to digress too much, but I think that youthfulness really comes out in like even, and I don't want to talk too much about anchor and, and that, but even the way your presence, what you do on anchor, it's like, I could pretty easily figure out on a high level, like, Hey, this is a, a fun guy. Um, he's laid back. He's not worried about what other people are going to think about what he does and what he says and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's where that, that youthfulness comes in, right? It's yeah. when you get rigid and you feel like I'm a certain age, I got to act that way. That's where you get stiff and that's where you lose that personality that makes you who you are. Yeah. That's, that was like high school for me was there was this moment, I think my sophomore year, I had my freshman year, I had gone to, it was my last year of like Christian school and everybody made fun of my last name that ninth grade year. <laughs> it was so scarring to me. Uh, you know, what's there to make fun of my last name? It's fine. It's a normal last name, right? But, uh, but it was just so scarring uh, to be, to just like care so much about being cool throughout elementary, middle school and that, that last year, that ninth grade or the first year of, of secondary school. And, and then I remember going to public school and from the, the religious school that basically all the rejects went to, everybody who got like expelled, their parents made them go to this, this one school that I, this um, religious school that I went to. And then I remember entering public school with 3,200 kids and being a number and being, and being anonymous and feeling the freedom of that. And then, and then developing out of that into you know what? I, I like the coolness thing. It's just not going to happen for me. So I'm just going to do what I do, which is I do everything. I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to be in choir. I'm going to be in theater. I'm going to be in television production. I'm going to hang out with this group, this group, this group. And, uh, and, and it worked out well for me. So that was kind of the, the, the beginning of not, not caring about approval so much, everybody's approval. And, and that's what, that's what, creating content is for me is okay. I see how everyone else is doing stuff. That's going to, that's going to be spiritually oppressive to me <laughs> to do, to come up with a system and, and do like check all the boxes. So instead I'm going to see that and then I'm going to do it like the easiest way I know how, where at least I'm, 
you know, I want to lower the bar. My, I want to, I want to fire my editor and just try to get out the stuff and, and then tweak it as I go. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of, that started for me back in high school. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the freedom, right? Is when you, when you're able to express yourself as your own being, if you want to call it that, right? Where it's like, there's no, you're, you're not trying to fit into some mold. You're not like, well, I'm a basketball player and basketball players don't exactly sing. So I better cut those ties pretty quickly because I have to show that I am the like high school jock. Yeah. I got to act a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way. But as soon as you're just like, no, man, I'm interested in X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And guess what? I'm going to do X, Y, and Z because... I don't really care what other people think. And that allows you to be free. And that allows you to also be really good at what you're interested in because you're never worried about trying to not act a certain way. Right? Like you could be the basketball player that's singing in the dressing room and all of a sudden you're the team guy. Whereas if you're trying to, if you're trying to uh, prohibit those feelings or emotion from coming through, you're just like the rigid basketball guy who's actually not that good on the court. Yeah, but right. let's be, let, let me be honest. Uh, let's be honest with ourselves here. Like, I still care about, you know, ranking and traffic and that sort of stuff. <laughs> so, so that helps me. That informs, like, okay, this is really working, or this is not, or okay, I really think it is working. So let me try something else to beef up traffic or beef up, you know, eyeballs or whatever. Um, yeah. So the approval thing is still is so anyway. I, I, that's I I could say. I don't care about it. Um, and I feel like there is a freedom there, but it's, it's only because I, I feel like there deep down, there is that because I'm affirmed like, Oh, Tim's singing right now. And he doesn't sound horrible. I'm like, yes. Okay, cool. Score. <laughs> so there is, I still do. I do care about it. Of um, course. I mean, human yeah. nature is to find these arbitrary benchmarks though. Yeah. Right. These things we, we put meaning to arbitrary benchmarks and we say, that equals success. Um, yep. And it's really hard to get out of that mindset. Yeah. That's just, that's the way that the mind works. It's really, really difficult to do that. Yeah. So I get, I get where you're coming from with that. But you're, so you're saying, I mean, you, it sounds like you had some hardships growing up when you mentioned that a lot of your life was sad. I mean, maybe that's your perspective of it. Maybe it was sad, but like what, what happened that, um, that would have like caused you to face those hardships. Um, I, so, so what do you mean? What, what, like, well, just when you, you're saying you're talking about your life story, um, when we first started off, you said, well, most of it's pretty sad. Yeah. I guess the, just the overarching, the main events are sad. I think, or to me, they're sad. Um, but I think there's within that sprinkled a lot of beauty and a lot of, um, uh, yeah, hope, I guess. And so, so just the main thing is, so my dad was a firefighter. Um, my dad had PTSD from being a firefighter. And then also his childhood was just a a really, uh, pretty, pretty horrible childhood growing up for what I understand. And, and, uh, in ninth grade, so in my first year of secondary school, my dad, uh, would go every year to go teach at the fire academy. And so I thought he was going to do that. And he actually went to rehab instead. So he called me and, 
in ninth, you know, and and I'm what thirteen years old, and my dad is like stuttering on the phone as he's going through rehab. He's he's like detoxing from alcohol, and uh, I've never heard my dad stutter. I've never heard him speak like this, uh, and so so that moment was. I never knew my dad even drank alcohol. I thought everybody who drank alcohol was like evil. And it turns out that my dad, who was like the spiritual leader of my family, was uh, was enslaved by it, you know, was, was uh, an addict. And so he went through six months of rehab and slash being in a halfway house. And that was a turning point for my family what was beautiful about it is is when you when you open yourself up like that when you become transparent and when you get help um, there's a freedom there and my parents' marriage improved at that point from from horrible and every year we thought I thought my parents were going to get a divorce to like okay they can maintain it's it's not every year I think it's it improved it's like my dad goes to rehab and suddenly every year I'm not worried that my parents are going to get a divorce. Um, that was like the main kind of marker, the, the, the main event of my childhood or of, of, my, of growing up. But my dad is, I mean, I, I did this, I've, I've told stories before on the podcast where I will, my dad is that man child. He is that always curious, always exploring, always creating kind of guy. And he took me along on that journey. So he, I, I remember I have these beautiful moments where my dad let me sit on his lap and steer the fire truck, or my dad taught me how to drive stick shift and then was like, okay, you're good. And let me drive around a parking lot behind a Kmart when I was, you know, well below the legal age to drive. But I thought that was a really cool memory. Or I remember just going to find recycled metal I don't know, just weird stuff. Like my dad would dumpster dive and find cool electronics and I was with him and um, we got our ham radio license and no one knew. I, I got so excited that I got my ham radio, my amateur radio license and no one at my school knew what the heck that was. So I couldn't celebrate with anybody, but I had fun because it was me and my dad. So I've had these really great moments with my dad growing up where we spent time together but in general, my whole, my childhood was growing up with my mother and my grandmother going to craft fairs and me trying to find the manliest thing to do at a craft fair or, a, or at a fabric store. And the manliest thing to do, by the way, Ben, is to go to look at the Halloween costumes at a fabric store or at a craft fair, there's ping pong, ping or uh, rubber band guns. That was, that's what I, those were the two things that I enjoyed doing. Dude, you gotta tell me, like... <laughs> Please tell me that when you'd go to the fabric stores, you'd find fabric or you'd find a costume and then you'd go back and you'd help to put that thing together with your grandma or your mom. So they would have patterns and there would be pictures. And my mom, one Halloween, it it took – she was basically late on creating this co- – there was like a ho- the Halloween costume contest – and I remember there were still pins in my costume when I showed up for the contest. But she made me a full-on cover-the-whole-body Ninja Turtle outfit where my head was in the mouth of the Ninja Turtle. Obviously, it was Michelangelo because he's a party dude. 
and I had the full-on Ninja Turtle big shell on the back. I had the nunchucks, and um, it, and it's funny. We went to this Halloween costume contest, and my mom spent all this time making the costume, and I saw one of the categories was best in show, and so I didn't enter myself until the best in show category came around. <laughs> and, and then they're like, okay, but it's time for best in show, and I would walk up like, I'm going to compete for this one, and they're like, no, no, no. It's we we pick the best from each category and then they compete and so I totally missed the whole competition because I thought my costume was so awesome. Oh, dude, that's amazing! (laughs) Oh man, that's so funny. The reason I ask, and yeah, this is about you, not about me, but man, I, I haven't met too many people that have had that same experience, but. Yeah, that's the, that's the way I grew up too. Yeah, I used to go to the fabric store with my mom, and my brother, and my sister, and we'd pick yeah. out these patterns, and we'd help to put together. Like I remember GI Joe. I remember oh, the nice. skeleton costumes. Nice. Like I, that was the kind of stuff that we did as kids. Is we, um, like we're not going to get into anything th- that I did, but um, I yeah. grew up like cross stitching man. Yeah, I grew up doing like a lot of interesting stuff like that, and uh, it's funny because you don't meet too many people that say, "Yeah, I remember going and sewing my own Halloween costumes or being yep. a part of that." Right? Yep. Oh yeah, man, the, that's magic! The carpets thing where you would like you know loop the fabric and make your own little carpet that was a design or like a picture. Yep. Yeah, or like you'd make the beaded bracelets and stuff. Yeah. Oh, magic, magic! Yep. I mean, dude, that's all. That is that's the <laughs> wheelhouse right there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So when your dad was when your dad like it it doesn't sound like your dad was a visible drinker. No, he hit it. Yeah. So he hit it. So it was so as far as you knew, it was just it was just like normal family household, but he, I guess he was like, he was drinking very much behind closed doors. Well, growing up, you would, um, I, I would, I would defend my dad, right? Cause my dad said, I'm not drinking. And my mom would accuse him of drinking all the time. And I was like, mom, give him a break. He's saying he's not drinking. He's not drinking, you know, and this guy's my hero. Right. And my mom is the person that I'm living with all the time and spending all the time with. So she's the one disciplining me when I get out of, she was pretty strict with me, but in just in general, she had to raise me and she was raising me, not wanting me to turn out like my dad. So and your parents were, your parents were together at the time or not? They're, together? All, they're still together. Yeah. 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 And why was your mom raising you? Well, yeah. my dad was, my dad was, uh, five, I, he was 24 hours at the fire department. And then he would be running the pool business. So he's working oh, I see. a lot. I see. Working, you know, every day. He would rarely have days off. I remember like every other Christmas I got to spend, my dad was there. So if my dad got Christmas at home one day, the next year he wouldn't get Christmas at home. So he wouldn't be home on Christmas because he was at the fire department. And what was it that you thought with like was leading your parents to a path of divorce that you were like, you're so sure of it? As a kid. Yeah, they would fight all the time. I mean... And do you think uh, it was actually serious? Or was it one of those things where... Like, I remember as a kid, man, and I like yeah. I haven't talked about this kind of stuff either, but it's like, as a kid, I'd see my parents fight. And they're like, my parents are still together and they have a great relationship and they're very supportive and loving parents. But yeah. 
I think that automatically as a kid, you think that like one fight equals divorce. So in my head, I was like, are they going to get a divorce? Because I probably heard other kids talk about like, oh, my parents yeah. are divorced, right? So was no, it, it, was, I think it, was it was actually like legit? Yeah, well, it was like going to grandma's house for a week. That kind so of it was stuff. pretty heavy. It was yeah, heavier they're... than just like a disagreement that was misinterpreted by a youthful lad. Yeah, totally. They, yeah, they would, they would, uh, they, I would go to grandma's house and my mom would talk about not knowing if this was going to work. And, um, yeah, that, that sort so, of thing. So it was more literal than it was figurative, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, like totally. Where, I mean, there was not like, uh, not that, not any like violence. There was just a lot of, there was just a lot of arguing. And my dad did the whole like shutdown thing. I mean, it got pretty, it got pretty rough. I mean, I remember my mom, did, my dad did it. Or, yeah, my dad like one time dis, dis, like removed something in our car engine to prevent my mom from leaving that kind of stuff where it would be like, okay, this is no joke. Um, yeah. Like you're not reading into it. You're just taking the, the literal terms that are being said and the actions that are being presented. And you're like, well, this, right. And I say, (laughs) it seems like every year, but I'm not, I'm not sure it was every year, but it, it was quite frequent up until that, that, you know, I was 13. It's funny to, uh, Two things. One, well, let's see if I can remember the second one. But the first one is I would defend my dad. And then I remember being in college in choir. And we had this guy come in. He was a new student. And he joined like our, the big choir that anybody could join. And he sat down next to me. And he was kind of disheveled. It was 10 a.m. And I remember him sitting down to me and next to me and being like, Oh, this guy smells like my dad. And the reason he smells like my dad is he smelled like alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) But you didn't actually realize what it was? (laughs) I thought it was mouthwash, like Listerine. I don't know what what my dad's... But that was the moment where I just was like, I had this warm feeling of my dad. Like, oh, my dad. Like you actually thought, you you were like, this is a good guy. Yeah, I'm like, oh. Good guy. It was a fuzzy feeling, like oh, this guy reminds me of my dad. Oh, it's because he's, yeah. So. Oh man, that's <laughs> classic. Okay, we got to step back to the. There's one thing that that we didn't talk about is the Austin Powers thing. So fill me in on this. Like, what was it about Austin Powers that your mom did not want you to see? Like, why was yeah. it so bad? I wasn't allowed. It sounds to like see. your mom was strict, man. And if if Austin Powers wasn't to go, then. It, it sounds like it was definitely strict. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to see PG-13 movies until I was like 17. I, uh, I, it was very much, you know, I, I remember watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom at a sleepover at my buddy's house and just being scarred by the temple scene where the guy gets his heart ripped out. And uh, my, I remember wa- my mom walked out of Home Alone because Kevin told his mom that she sucked in the attic. And, uh, so, so it was, it was super buttoned up. It was like, we are, it was PG movies or, or, or lower. And I remember my sister who was 13 or less. Um, maybe she was 14. 
but she wasn't allowed to see PG-13 movies. And I hadn't been allowed to see PG-13 movies, so she was definitely not allowed to see PG-13 movies in my eyes. She had said that she went to this one movie, this one PG movie, and my one of my friends, one of my close friends was like, hey, I saw your sister at Austin Powers yesterday. And I was like, what? Yes, this is awesome. <laughs> she is going down. And so I remembered like telling my mom on her, and uh, and then she, my my sister, it was her, her word against mine, and so she said, "No, I didn't. I didn't watch the movie. I didn't watch the movie." And then, you know, I remember it becoming a huge fight, and me just—I was such a narc. I was trying to get my sister. I was, I was bust. I was totally. We were, we were two years apart, so I, we kind of grew up fighting. I was, I was pissed that I had a strict upbringing, and my sister was able to have like a loosey-goosey upbringing in my eyes and I could have been the cool brother and like helped her have that thing but for some reason I just didn't want her to have that thing and so I narked on her then and then it didn't come out until we were in our 20s that she had in fact lied uh about them and that she was totally saw Austin Powers and was it satisfying were you like yes I knew Uh, it was it or were you just like "Ah, I'm over it no I I I think it turned out, it basically turned out where I was the bad guy. So I didn't get to enjoy it. <laughs> like your mom was looped into this whole thing. It wasn't just a thing between you and your sister. Uh, I don't No, No, my mom was not looped into it. My mom was basically for some, and, and I don't know how it, I don't know how it resolved other than I knew it wasn't satisfying to me once the truth came out. And my mom was, was just like, oh, well, whatever. And I was like, no, you should remember, you should be angry as if we were back in, 19, in the 1990s. I want you to go back there and have those emotions that you would have had, had this truth come out at that time. <laughs> and so your parents, are they still um, like pretty traditional with things or have they changed their mindset towards things like Austin Powers, let's say? I, uh, I, yeah, so I grew up in a Christian home that was really strict and, you know, I guess you could say like fundamentalist and still my mom is very like super conservative and she thinks I'm this progressive, you know, New Yorker now. I'm still, I'm still a Christian. I still, I work at a, um, a nonprofit that helps churches get started in cities around the world. So I, I, still believe and I see that that my faith work itself out day to day uh but I'm drinking a beer right now and my mom would like would be very upset slash crushed that I'm having a beer right now but I tell her I let her know but she's just very she sees it as like very dangerous and you know I get I don't I think sinful yeah I think she would just be like I'm 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 sinning right now but um, You're committing sin. Do you think she's she's maybe steered a little bit t- more towards that mindset because of the exposure um, that she had to your dad and you would have had to your dad? Or is that just like she is um, – her faith is so deep that she truly believes it's a sin? I think that my mom um, – I think that – I think it's both. I think my mom is a, she prays a lot. And, and I know, I know that that is very powerful. 
I, I just know that that um, when she prays, she prays fervently, and it might be sourced out of anxiety that she has. It might be sourced out of the wounds that she's had in life, but it is a powerful thing. Uh, and my mom's prayers are are I covet. I ask for them all the time. I my mom praying is a is a beautiful thing, and she has so much faith. I I do think though that she. Um, and I think for good reason, she is scared that she knows like what our DNA has. She knows that our family has a long line, at least on my dad's side of alcoholics and addiction and, and that sort of thing. And so she doesn't want me to go down those, that path. Um, I do also think that, um, in, in the Christian faith, there's a tendency to really rely on your own good works. And, um, and, and there's this, uh, potential to try to save yourself. Uh, and the beauty, the beauty about the Christian faith is that actually, um, the, the, that Jesus lived that life that I was supposed to live. Um, and, and that empowers me to live a, like a life that where I'm not, you know, getting wasted in, in doing the sinful things or whatever that is, but I'm not in fear and I'm not trying to earn God's favor because I are we, like, we already get God's favor. So I grew up in a, it, my faith was very oppressive to me and I felt guilty all the time. And, um, and it's only been since I've moved to New York that I've really had this kind of like a freeing moment. Um, and it's been a, it's been a great thing. So, um, even talking about my faith has been I, like, I'm on a pinball team, uh, where we, we have a home bar and away bar, uh, away games, home games, away games. You have your own bar. That's a home game, home. You play five home games and then you go out and play five away games on pinball machines. It's awesome. But the, 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 the metaphysical, like deep foundational humanity stuff, like conversations that we have is, is so good. It's so awesome. It's so freeing to me. And I remember like reading books on like how to try to convert people and how to like try to (laughs) argue with atheists. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, I think there's a little bit of that, um, that I grew up with that I've been able to shed and, and, and see a richness there that I, that I didn't get to grow up in. But at the same time, my mom, I know because of pain, I know because of just a lot of stuff that's, that she, go, she goes through, um, her faith is real too. And, and so I don't want to, like, I'm not knocking that at all, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think I, I think you can get something good there. And so your <laughs> it sounds like your, your faith has kind of guided you, um, to be, I don't want to say okay, I don't really know what the word is, but to be comfortable, if you want to call it that, to be comfortable with who you are as a person and know that um, you don't have to second guess yourself for doing something like drinking a beer and feeling like you're right. sinning or doing something that uh, one person who is faithful might see as a negative and then another person might see as neutral and another person might see as positive. So is that is that something that that you finding your own way through faith has kind of helped to massage you into who you are now? Yeah, I think it's not an us them anymore. It used to be, I used to grow up, like I grew up in a, in a religion that was us versus them. We are the light, you are the darkness kind of thing. Uh, at least that's, that's not what, that's not what the, that's what it was taught to me as. That's not what the, what the Christian faith is. The beauty about the Christian faith is that it, um, it actually shows that God is working and is active in the world 
whether you're a Christian, Catholic, Jew, Muslim, atheist, um, you know, into crystals or something that, you know, God, God, like God is in a conversation at a bar. That to me just blew my mind. Like when I, when I realized that, when I was like, oh, uh, in, in two people connecting and talking about something, God, like whether, no matter what their faith is, um, there is a God of the, like the God of the universe actually is in that conversation in some way, shape or form. Um, so that, that, that was beautiful to me. Yeah, I guess. And true, like true Christianity is just being accepting of everybody. Right. Yeah. And, well, and, it's both. and you can't yeah. have that when, when you've got the us versus them, um, because right. then you're putting, uh, one group on a pedestal and downplaying the importance of another. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, it's um it's it's accepting and rejecting at the same time so it like challenges it challenges you and it affirms you uh in different ways so depending on like what where you are in the in the world right now where you're growing up you could be in a very um you know religious oppressive culture and God shows the value of the individual and God raises up like, like I have created you in my image, like you are valuable. And then you can live in a highly individualistic society, which I do in New York city. It's, it's all about me and not about we it's ne- it's, it's all about me and ex- self-expression and it shows. And then it's like, actually like the, we is very important too. And it kind of, so there, anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Everybody's challenged and everybody's affirmed in different ways. So, and how did you make your way to NYC? Like, what was, what did that look like? You were living in Florida. Yep. Uh, so, uh, went to call, went to university in South Florida. I did a music degree, um, and met my, uh, met Karen there. And so, uh, Karen and I started dating my last, our last semester of school and we wanted to get married four months later. And I asked her dad permission and he said no. So we waited. We actually had like a, an official wedding, like a, a year and a couple months after that. And then we moved to Los Angeles. I thought I was going to do um, philosophy for grad school and get a PhD in philosophy. I dropped out after one semester. I completed the semester, but uh, moved out to LA, did one semester of school after moving out to LA. And then we just decided to move to New York City. And so we moved out here seven years ago. Uh, we had some friends who started a church. We we joined that church, and we've been here for seven years. So officially, New Yorkers as of April. Apparently, that's what you have to do is you have to live here seven years to be a New Yorker. Is that is that like a thing? Or is that like I, legit, or is that just kind of like an, uh, I guess like a rite of passage, if you want to call it? I that. hear seven years sometimes, and then and then other people tell me ten, but. The people that tell me 10, I'm, I say, yes, but we've been in the same apartment for all seven years. And then that, that melts their faces and they're like, okay, you're a New Yorker. It's fine. <laughs> Legitimizes so, you. Yes. Apparently that's, that's, that's like a miracle in itself that I, that we did not move apartments. So. And, and you're living in the land of uh, square footage being a luxury, 400 square feet is what it sounds like you live in. I'm in, I'm in our bedroom right now and my bed is wall to wall to wall, uh, in the bedroom. So I have to like military roll over Karen, uh, to get out of bed in the morning. 
But that must give you, like when I lived in Toronto for a couple of years and I lived in 310 square feet. Granted, I was by myself, so it's a little bit different ball game. Um, I loved it. I I thought it was great having a very minimalist life. You figure out the bare essentials of what you need, the one paper towel at a time that I've heard you talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, how, how do you feel about living in a smaller space? Whereas in Florida, the houses and especially the community you grew up in were uh, probably quite large. And, um, I know in Florida in general there, you get houses that are three to 5,000 square feet, no problem. Yeah. I, I grew up, uh, in a townhouse. It was a two bedroom and, and I didn't really ever have my own room. So my sister had her own room. I was, I, I, you know, I actually, my, my parents don't, didn't sleep in the same, I, they still don't sleep in the same bedroom. Uh, And so I, I, I like remember rooming with my dad growing up. So we shared a room together. Um, I, I've not been, it wasn't a small space, you know, it was like probably 1200 square feet or a thousand square feet, but this, this actually, like my, our apartment now is less than four. Our landlord won't even tell us how small, how, what the square footage of our apartment is, because I think it's just, it's really small. It's two rooms. Uh, we have a deck though. We have outdoor space. That's really nice, but it's beautiful, but I'm still not like the, the, the what is that? The Marie Kondo, the, the tidiness T- of the tiny joy. house. The, oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. The tidiness or the practical joy whatever we 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 i still like i i'm at my office i'm getting i i'm moving um desks in my office so i have to all of the clutter and stuff that i've been hoarding i brought to my office and now i have to like sell it on ebay so i haven't really lived that minimalistic life but i do like to talk about it as if i do i do like to brag about yeah i got tiny space i don't i don't need your flyer don't give me your fidget spinner i don't have space for it i don't need your swag Meanwhile, you've got a desk of uh, Chewbacca's and Yoda's and every figurine. Have you been to my desk? Imagine. How do you know this? <laughs> I, do you I, know? No. I know. I know. They're all Lego. It's all Lego. Eyes in the sky. Oh, Lego. Yeah, Lego. Lego Chewbacca's Lego Star Wars. Oh, man, that's so, so funny. Well, we're we're hitting almost an hour here, so I don't know if you want to keep going or if you've got more you want to um, keep going on. Yeah, I mean Karen's home right now, so I, I probably should go soon. But um, I don't know if there's anything else that you would think that you need. Um, I, mean, I don't need anything. Every dad. every um, man, all stories and every story is is beautiful in its own respect. Yeah. So if there's um, some some good story, one good campfire story you want to end off on. Yeah, I well, let's see. Um, I always tell the one about uh, when I was maced in Switzerland or pepper pepper sprayed. I was assaulted in Switzerland. That's that's one of my go-tos. Um, uh, my dad, Let's go to it. Okay, go to it. Yeah. So in in high school, I was in choir. I was a tenor. And we every year would take a trip to Europe. And the first year, I, we went to Holland and Belgium, the Netherlands and Belgium. And I raised, I remember rate working a summer to pay for that trip. And then the second, the second year, my junior year, uh, we went to France and Switzerland and I couldn't pay for that trip. And so my choir director actually scholarshiped me. He paid for it himself for me to be able to go on this trip. 
And uh, he said, you can pay me back. And I'm like, Dr. Sharon, I'm never going to be able to pay you back ever in my life. And he's like, okay, you can still go. So I still haven't paid him back and he hasn't asked me for it. It's great. And I went on this trip and we were in Switzerland, Luzerne, Switzerland. My buddy Rainy, his name was, was Rainy, uh, or is Rainy. Uh, his, his sister is actually Windy and his brother is Stormy. So that's, that's Rainy's family. Rainy wanted to go to a casino and he was the television production person on our choir trip and he gave me the video camera to hold while he went to the casino you know when the chaperones weren't looking so I grabbed the the camera and we were walking back to our hotel it was late at night and I was playing with the camera and I was zooming in and zooming out on the chaperones that were down the street a ways and some dude with like these big dreads started yelling at me in this other language I didn't know it wasn't Swiss or it wasn't French it wasn't German it was it was something else and he was just yelling at me and then he would sprinkle in English cuss words and I I put I didn't put I didn't know what was happening I just heard somebody yelling and I'm like oh I think somebody's yelling at me and I pulled the camera down and I look at the guy and he just sprays me with this spray and I was a couple steps away from my hotel room and my friend Joy had, uh, she had already walked into the hotel. She just kind of like was scared. So she just kept walking. And I remember walking into the hotel after the the guy sprayed me in the face thinking, okay, uh, I don't even know what that was. If that was mace or pepper spray, that stuff doesn't work. I don't know how that's supposed to protect you from attack. And then I I remember hitting the lobby of the hotel and just screaming. It just hit me like a good... 15 seconds after he sprayed me and I was yelling, screaming and all the chaperones like had run in and they were all women. So they brought me into the women's restroom. And so we were just splashing water all over my face, washing off the, trying to wash off the stuff. And then that didn't work. And I kept screaming and I kept like snotting everywhere. And so they took me up into their, um, there somebody, one of the chaperones took me up and I had, I went into the shower and I remember like showering and using this dove soap or whatever. And then they gave me like six caplets of Benadryl and I remember chewing those. And then I, the cops came in and they were like, did you videotape the guy? And I'm like, of course I didn't. And I remember like slowly falling asleep and then I woke up the next day and in my bed was one of the male chaperones, this really big dude. Uh, He was, (laughs) he was a television production teacher. And, uh, and I was like, where's the pepper spray when you need it? You know, like when I wake up next to this big dude. Okay. That's the joke. Why, why was a dude in your bed though? I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe because they thought I was scared or something and that would help. But I remember just waking up. I think I, we had to like, it, the way they set it up is like you would shit, you would room with somebody, but it was a king size bed. So you would just split the bed with the person that you're rooming with. So you're, you're, you're like a teenager. You just got yeah. mace yeah. and you've got like old man TV production spooning you. He smelled like we smelled like my dad for some reason. No, <laughs> so you, so you wanted to bunk with him. That's why. <laughs> yeah. So and then that's... I remember the next day we went out on the bus and I put on my jacket that I was wearing the night before, and there was still like some of the spray left over and it got on my neck and it burned, but I just didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs>